I want to greet you in the name of Jesus Christ this morning. I haven't been up here yet, so I think it's uh, good for me to, to do so as I look out at all of you. Thanks for being here today, and uh, I want to give you those greetings. Jesus is the name above every name. There's no name that is sweeter or more precious that I can offer to you. There's no blessing that is more powerful that I could give to you, and I want to give it to you. I'm asking Jesus, the glory of who he is, the glory of what he has done to rise in your hearts and your minds today. We've been working through a, an Advent series and have been uh, just walking down a path as leading up to, and actually today I was thinking about, we're, we're ending our Advent series, but you know what that means, that when we're ending the time of waiting, what does that mean? That means next week we get to celebrate. The king has come. So we're looking for the coming of the king, and next week we get to celebrate that the king has come. I don't know, I, I, I'm finding out that the, uh, the, 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 uh, the schedule of Advent, the Sundays of Advent, I think are different sometimes, and I happen to look at one, and, and sometimes people look at different ones. So uh, if you, I don't know if you've been here for, for, the, for the weeks that have come. We've gone through three weeks leading up to the coming of Jesus Christ, the expectancy of Jesus coming, and each week we focused on a different theme. Does anyone remember what the first uh, week's theme was? Just say it out loud. Hope. We talked about hope. Now, apparently, I'm not sure what's going on. I, I, I lost my lighter, and I have a box of matches, so we're going to go old school today. I think it's old school. I don't know. Is that old school? Let me see if I can do this with matches and not a lighter. The first week, we focused on hope, and the hope that we have in Jesus' name, the hope of what God has done for us through Jesus. The second week, anybody know what we focused on the second week? Faith, and the emphasis was on faithful living as we wait for Jesus to come. This is a challenge of me talking fast enough before this burns out. I don't think I'm going to get there. I can talk fast, but I also have many words, as you know. Last week, we focused on what? Joy. We focused on joy, the joy that is ours. Oh, that was a, that was a failure. The joy that was ours. I'm going to set off a smoke alarm this morning. <laughs> a hard time choosing joy is what Joe just said. We have joy because of what God has done for us through Jesus. I want to read to you what I ended last week's sermon on. Hopefully you remember these words, but they're from Philippians chapter 4, and they begin this way. I read these verses. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand, right? This is an Advent series. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I got to catch up here. Our sermon today is on peace. It's the segue into it, but I want to throw that verse up that I just read to you, because there's a connection, and what you're going to see in, in all of these, you know, when we talk about hope, we, we by necessity talk about things that also bring us joy. 
When we talk about faithfully waiting, we by necessity talk about things that refer to us living in peace because to wait faithfully for Jesus to come means we are at peace. We, you can't have it any other way. I don't think we can paint a picture this morning or any other morning. I don't think we can paint a picture that says, I will faithfully wait for the coming of Jesus Christ and not have something to say about the peace that is residing inside of us. Because if I'm not at peace, if I'm anxious, or if I'm afraid, or if I'm not sure, or if I'm upset, if I'm having all of those things happening, then I don't think I'm faithfully waiting. I don't think I can say I'm, I'm, I'm just enduring, and I'm, I'm patiently, and with, with thanksgiving, waiting, and with joy, waiting, and doing what God has asked me to do when I'm anxious, or upset, or afraid. So all of these go together. But I love this verse. We know this verse so well. It's a verse that we, I think it's moved out, and it should, by the way, it's moved out all the time. But I want you to look at it again with fresh eyes this morning. That when we, rejoicing in all things, we had two prayer requests this morning that don't lead us to rejoicing very much, right? They don't lead us to rejoicing very much. When we give premature delivery to a little baby, and by the way, can I just say, 23 weeks old, and you look at a little baby that weighs just under a pound, and I don't know how anyone could ever look at that and deny the evidence of God and the evidence of an intelligent designer and the evidence of fearfully and wonderfully made that Scripture represents. What a specimen of perfection. What an undeniable evidence that there's life, that there's life at conception. I don't want to get sidetracked by that. But we have requests that don't always bring about rejoicing. But we see that as Paul walks us through saying rejoice, and again I'll say it rejoice, he says know that God is at hand. Know the expectation and the advent of Christ He's coming again, and something about that, as we turn to him and we let our requests be made known, with all, with all patience and all diligence and all thanksgiving, and then something happens. The peace of God, which surpasses our understanding. It goes beyond what makes sense in our minds, but what I really wanted to focus on was it'll guard your hearts and your minds. I've found those two areas are sort of the definition of the wholeness of us. I've found that those two areas are places where we become anxious or afraid or not at peace. In our hearts or in our minds. And Paul is very clear that this will be guarded in both aspects. Turn with me now again today. We're going to go back to the Old Testament as I've done every single time as we, as we look at the advent of Jesus. I've done this intentionally because it is in those pages that the writers of Scripture were, excuse me, pointing forward to Jesus' first coming. And we're going to start there, pointing forward to Jesus' first coming. And so we, we're going to, we, let's go to Isaiah chapter 11. We're going to read through the first nine verses this morning of Isaiah chapter 11. And we're going to see how this is pointing us toward this idea of peace. Now I just want to say up front, I, I went back and forth about what text to use. And I sensed the Lord bringing me to this text, and I kept kind of, I don't know if you ever have stuff like this happen, but I kept kind of saying, but God, I'm looking for scriptures that, that give evidence of, or say the word peace, because that's my theme this morning, right? So I should be preaching from a text that says the word peace. And I'm going to read through the first nine verses, and you'll find out that there's not actually that word 
That word shalom doesn't show up anywhere in this text. But I think it's representative of the point I think God wants to make with me and with us this morning. And I think undeniably you're going to see peace represented. Hebrews, Isaiah chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Let me start reading there. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Right there, by the way, if I'm going to interrupt myself, you can see that the, the idea of the hope of the Messiah is born right there, right? Because when you think of a stump, what does that illustrate? That illustrates something cut off, right? Something that's no longer there. But a shoot shall come forth from the stump of Jesse, Verse 2, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Let me stop for just a moment lest we get lost in the text. Already so far I can tell you because I'm building the message upon this. Already so far I can tell you that when it comes to things like peace and talking about peace that there's some things that, that, are, that are wrapped into this. The word hasn't been used, right? But we're going to see that peace has something to do with fear. When we're afraid of something, we're not at peace. But I want you to see this shoot that comes forth from the stump of Jesse. He will be the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. In fact, his delight, and now we see a connection between a fear that is not taking away peace. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And I see immediately a principle set up that you and I would do well to learn. It's represented all through scripture, but this morning I'll say it again. We are to be afraid. This is kind of going to sound a little weird, I suppose. But we are to be afraid, but we are to be afraid of the right person. We see in here that when we are afraid of people here on earth, leaders or kings or cultures around us or other situations around us, when we are afraid of things that are happening to us, it steals our peace, doesn't it? It steals our joy, too. It steals our hope sometimes. It prevents us from living faithfully. But when we are afraid, when there's a fear of the Lord, the Bible is clear. First of all, it's the beginning of wisdom. But when we're afraid, when there's a fear of the Lord, then something different happens. How can it be that those words went together? Those words don't usually go together for us. Delight and fear. But here we read that of the Messiah, it is said that his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. I encourage you to pursue or to engage or to press into that kind of theme, even through the celebration of Christmas, even amidst all the hoopla of all the things we're celebrating. What does it look like for me to grow in my fear of God and see the resulting peace that comes? Is that possible? Now, I would tell you that's true because a lot of what we're going to talk about tonight is there's a, or this morning, is there's a connection between the kingdom rule of God and peace. When we talk of peace, we may talk of peace between kingdoms, but I'm telling you that that's only a, a 
type or a picture that's pointing to some bigger picture behind there, which is the peace that comes from the kingdom of God. A lot of the language of today, you're going to see it pop up over and over again, has to do with power and rule and peace. Now, let me just bring you to this verse because this is where I was going to stop and, and go reading from here. Righteousness is the belt of his waist. Look at the words it's using. He with righteousness will judge the poor. He will decide with equity the meek of the earth. He'll strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness will be the belt of his waist. It will be correct. When the Messiah makes judgments, it will be correct. It will be inarguable. He will deal with righteousness and faithfulness, the belt of his loins. Now let me continue reading. Verse 6, and look at this picture. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? I want you to see the connection between the fear that happened in the first verses and now this last verse. I didn't put the whole verse up there. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Those things are connected together. But I want you to see this morning that though the word peace was not used in the text I read, what picture did you just see in your mind? If you envision these things happening. Now, he doesn't go to people living at peace with each other. He doesn't go to kingdoms living at peace with each other. He goes to animals. And he paints a picture. What does it take for the wolf to lay down with the lamb? What does it take for a leopard to lie down in, next to a young goat? What do leopards usually do with young goats? What does it take for a calf and a lion a fattened calf to lie down together, and a little child to be in the midst of them. How often have you seen a cow and a bear graze together? Now, we don't see a lot of bears, so it's probably not a fair question of you in this context. But you can put your imagination to work, right? There's not a lot of domestic cows roaming in the wild Rocky Mountains. And there's a reason for that. What kind of picture is he painting? What's well, the picture of peace, right? There's a picture of peace. Now, you know what the word peace actually means? Well, I should correct, I should be careful about this because the word shalom in the Old Testament Hebrew means the, the picture of, of um, oh, the word just jumped out of my head, the picture of, of, of plenty, of blessing. But in the New Testament, the word peace, irani, means to be joined together, means to be restored, to be made whole, to be made, put together again. What kind of peace is this picture painting? Think of the beginning of this book. Think of the picture that's painted there with all the animals dwelling together and Adam there and God in the midst. And think of what happened when sin entered. This is what the peace is that we're talking about. It, of course, involves the kinds of peace we may think of traditionally as we think of peace between people, peace between relationships. It's, of course, an outgrowth of that, but we're not talking about that kind of peace. That, again, that's, that's out here. That's a symptom. It's in here we're talking about, the peace that comes. 
Now, as you know, as we've been going through these messages, I've wanted to pay attention to the fact that there's a coming of the Messiah. There's an advent. There's, a, there's an expectation that when Isaiah said these words, it was building in their minds, the Jewish people's minds, it was building a picture in their minds of what's going to happen when the Messiah finally shows up. And we're looking at that as we go through this Advent series. And we're also looking at another Advent, the return of Christ. And we're building them both together. But we're focusing on one first. And to do that today, I'm going to do the same thing. If you're paying attention, I've been doing this all the way through. But I'm going to do the same thing. But I want to just, I want to build this around the book of Daniel a little bit. And I, uh, I love that we were in Daniel this morning. Uh, we've been in Daniel in Sunday school. But the book of Daniel, Daniel sees some interesting things. Actually, the, the, the king Nebuchadnezzar sees some interesting things, has some dreams and visions, and Daniel has some dreams and visions. And we're not going to go into uh, a long depth about that, but if you know the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had, he saw this image, this great image, right? And it had a head of gold and then a chest and then legs and, then, and, and they were all made of different parts. And Daniel interpreted that image for them. And again, this morning, I'm not going into details of that. But as Daniel walked through that, he said, these, this image and these different compartments of the image, these different parts of the image, they're representing kingdoms that are coming, right? You, O Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. Today in Sunday school, we actually read about the, 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 the change, the switch from that head of gold to the next piece, right? To the Medo-Persian Empire. We typically would walk that down. If we look historically, we would say it was the Babylonian Empire, it was the Medo-Persian Empire, it was the Greek Empire, and then it was the Roman Empire. It was the fourth one, the bottom, the, the iron mixed with clay. And then in Daniel 2.44, we read these words. I just want to... And says, in those days, I put the first part of it up here, but in those days, Daniel's interpreting to the king, to King Nebuchadnezzar. He said, in, those, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all the kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Now, if you follow through that, that, that image that he saw, remember, it wasn't just the big statue-like image, because something happened at the end, Right? Nebuchadnezzar said, at the end of this image, I saw this, this rock being made out of a mountain, and it came down, and it smashed to pieces all the rest of it. And Daniel, in interpreting that, he said, in the days of those kings. Now, in what days of which kings? The days of which empire is he talking about? The Babylonian Empire, right? In the days of those kings, the God of heaven is going to set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. These are messianic words. These are prophetic words that point forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. So with great expectation and looking to the peace that will be ushered in, the people of God looked for the coming of Jesus Christ, for his kingdom to come. This is why when we read of the birth of Jesus Christ, the story of, in the Gospel of Luke, we're going to just go to those words. I'm going to, last week I read to you how the angel came to the shepherds and looked to them and he said, don't be afraid. I behold, I bring you great news of great joy. Good news of great joy. Read that right. It's for all people. Today it has been born to you this day, the city of David, a Savior is Christ the Lord. And then a whole company of angels shows up and what are they singing? What are they saying? They're saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, What? Peace among those with whom he is pleased. I'm telling you, here's the connective peace. Here's the peace when he says that God is setting up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. It is for that reason the angels could look to the shepherds and say, now peace has come to earth. 
Because he, he wasn't talking about the peace of this, this, this pastoral scene in, in some nice manger where the, where, the, where the king of kings was laid, right? I'm guessing that wasn't a very pastoral scene. I'm not guessing any of you have given birth in, in any kind of stable or any kind of environment close to that, but you can imagine how that, what that might be like. Not the ideal conditions to give birth to a baby, right? Far from it. I'm imagining most of you who are parents in here, I've actually talked with you about this, most of you are parents here, and the moment you hold a newborn child in your arms, you know that you would do about anything you ever could possibly do to protect this child, right? So what would it take to lay them in a manger in a barn? These shepherds aren't these... We make the story very clean, right? I'm pointing out to you that the peace that was coming was not because of some kind of... Now, everybody's at peace with each other. All relationships are restored. The Romans are no longer mean and evil and killing people. And, you, and, and now they're, they're not talking about that, are they? But what is he talking about? I'll tell you, this is kingdom kind of language. The kingdom of God is now here. In fact, when Paul looked at what Jesus did, he would look at it this way. I read to you last week, I think it was last week, the prayer that Paul prays for the Colossians. He talks about them being strengthened with power, with all glory, his might, for all, with patience and joy. Look what he says in verse 13 of Colossians chapter 1. He says, God, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. When Paul is framing his Good news that you have forgiveness of your sins through the Savior, through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He uses this language. Look at the language. He has transferred us. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. That's a kingdom word. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He goes on to tell, to tell us how great Jesus is, how, how above everything, how magnificent, how all things were created by Jesus, for Jesus, through Jesus, in him. All things are held together. He's the firstborn of all creation, all those wonderful things. And he goes on to say this in verse uh, 19. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Again, I think when I've, I've made the point of this before, but there we again see words that should not fit together, and yet they do. That God made peace through the bloody, awful, violent death of the cross. Again, what is peace? What kind of peace is he talking about? He's talking about this transferal. He's talking about us being separated from God and being de rescued, delivered out of the domain of darkness, the, the, the stronghold, the dominion, the kingdom of darkness, and delivered and rescued and brought into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, his son, whom he loves, and whom we have the forgiveness of sins. And he says that right after that. He says, you who once were alienated, that means you were out of it, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body. That's the word of peace. He's reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present to you, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's what Jesus did for you. This is the peace that was announced by the angels at the birth of Christ. This is the peace that I'm telling you today if I can please have every bit of attention that's possible on a Sunday morning. This is the first and foremost and most important 
peace that you have to deal with or to reconcile with or to understand today. There are other kinds of peace we can talk about and may talk about this morning. But the peace that you and I need more than anything is to be made right with our creator again, to be joined with our creator again, to be brought together with our creator again. And it is that peace that when Jesus came the first time and ushered in the kingdom of God, he establishes kingdoms so that we could be taken out of our old kingdom and brought into his kingdom. That's what gives us peace. That above and beyond everything, my friends, is what you need to be receiving this Christmas time if you have not already. It is to be joined to God again, to be presented holy and blameless before him. You know, Jesus told this, uh, he told lots of stories, right? Or he gave lots of illustrations. And one of the illustrations he gave is he was talking to his disciples about what it would cost to follow him. We know the first part of this pretty well. Jesus, remember when he says this, he says, if you want to talk about how much it costs to follow me, he said, it's like a man who's building a tower, right? You know how that finishes, right? He's building a tower, and will he not first sit down and estimate how much this tower is going to cost so that he knows whether he can finish it or not? Because if he can't finish, he's not going to try it. And he's trying to get us to see that it's going to cost us something to follow Jesus. It's going to cost us something to be taken out of that domain of darkness and to be brought into the kingdom of the sun. It's going to cost our allegiance, the lordship. We're no longer allegiant to ourselves. We're allegiant to Jesus now. It's going to cost us something. But you know, he actually follows it up with another illustration. Did you know that? We tend to not spend as much time with the second one. At least I don't typically. Does anyone know what the second one is? What's the other example Jesus gives? What's that? No, it's not the house building on sand. That's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. What's that? He's an army. He says, let me say it another way. What king would not, if he's got 10,000 soldiers and he sees an army coming towards him with 20,000, what king would not sit down and make sure that he can win the fight before he starts it? But you know what he says? He says this. This is in Luke chapter 14. He says, if he realizes he's not going to win, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Now, we don't often think of it this way, but let me just tell you something. If peace is about kingdom and rule and power and being in the right kingdom, part of what Jesus, I think, is saying in this is he's helping us to see that there is a kingdom coming and that kingdom will win. Is there a question in our minds which kingdom will win in the end? The kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of Jesus? Is there a question of who will stand in the end, me or God? I think it's what he's setting up because he intentionally sets up that the king that's, 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 that's counting the cost has less than the king that's coming. And he knows he's going to lose. And if he knows he's going to lose, what is he going to do? He's going to ask for terms of peace. I think what he's telling us is he says, listen, it's going to cost you something to follow me. The cost is going to be great. It's high, and you should think about it before you enter in. But I want you to know something. I want you to know that the cost of following Jesus in the end is going to be far less than the cost of not following Jesus. The cost of surrender in the end is far less than the cost of not surrendering. And if you know that, then you should ask for peace. If you know that, if you know whose kingdom will stand in the end, we know this, right? 
Whose kingdom will endure in the end? Whose kingdom will stand in the end? Jesus' kingdom. God's kingdom is going to stand. If you know that, then long before the end comes, you ask for terms of peace. You say, I need to be made right with you. And that is exactly what God did when he sent Jesus for you. He sent the way to be made at peace, made right with him. I'm telling you, if nothing else, this Christmas, you need to realize, I need to realize, all of us need to realize that what God has done is he has brought Jesus into our world not to establish a kingdom that makes all earthly relationships be at peace with each other, but to establish a kingdom that allows us to be moved out of our former kingdoms into his kingdom and know for sure that we are in the kingdom that will in the end win. And that brings us peace. I know it may sound hokey and may sound like some kind of like, I'm not trying to be like that. But if you have not lit that candle of peace in your own heart, today absolutely must be the day that you do that. I think, I feel, I am sure the importance of this is high enough that it warrants the interruption of my, my message out of this book to say, if it hasn't happened, and today the Lord is knocking on the door of your heart, then today should be the day. And you know, I, I've said this before, so I'm going to say it again, because so many times we sit in these situations, and we may be like, well, I've already given my heart to Jesus, I've already given my allegiance to Jesus, I've already then there is nothing wrong with just telling him again today, I need a delegation of peace. I need you, Jesus. I need you to make me right with my Father. God, we're gonna stop for a moment in this part and we're going to just pause and we're gonna take an honest assessment of whether we are in the right kingdom. You have ushered in this kingdom through Jesus Christ when he came the first time. And in fact, as he came as the king himself, this has never happened in the history of the world. He came as the king of the kingdom himself, and he yielded himself to establish that kingdom. He himself made it possible through his shed blood, Jesus, through your shed blood. And you made it possible through the new and living way that you opened up as you came back up out of that grave that we can be made right with God, that we can be transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of you, Jesus, the kingdom of God. And we today want to make sure if we're going to talk about peace, if we're going to have any reason to celebrate Christmas, if we're going to have any reason for hope, any reason to say we're going to faithfully wait for something, any reason for, to have joy inside of us, we know that that hinges upon the peace that you've offered to us in Jesus Christ. So today, right now, God, we're going to ask you, Holy Spirit, am I in Jesus' kingdom? And if the answer you've given to us is that I am not, and I pray for the, such a flood of your grace and such a move of your spirit, God, that, would, that, would, that today would be the day that we would voluntarily confess with our mouth that you, Jesus, are Lord, that we want to be in your kingdom. We believe in our hearts that you, Jesus, died for our sins and were brought back to life. You opened the way. The, the way is, is open for us to come in your kingdom and to say, Jesus, I need to be at peace. God, I need to be at peace with you. I confess your way is right. You are 
just and pure and holy. I need peace with you. And we, I need to receive Jesus. And if the answer was yes, God, then we will glorify your name and thank you for what you've done through Jesus Christ and we'll declare it again this morning and say, Jesus, you are my king. Jesus, you are my king. That brings such incredible peace to me. For I know you reign and rule with righteousness. You are faithful. It is the belt of your loins. I can trust in you. You make all things good and right. I'm at peace. For you, King Jesus, are my shepherd. You lead me beside still waters. You make me to lie down in green pastures. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell with you forever. You are my king, Jesus. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Jesus said these words, John chapter 14. Oh, I missed a reference. I'm going to leave that there. You guys know Isaiah 53, 5. just want you to see that the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. But Jesus said these words in John 14, 27, I think it is. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. I want you to see in the book of Daniel, Daniel had his own visions, and in many ways they overlaid, many ways they overlaid what Nebuchadnezzar saw, in many ways they reinforced that. But there's something interesting that happens that caught my attention this week, and maybe you all knew this already, and maybe I didn't uncover anything that's earth-shattering. I certainly don't claim to be a scholar of prophecy. But there's something interesting in Daniel chapter 7, as he has a vision, and then that vision is interpreted. And again, it, you see a lot of the same things. He's, God is dealing with the kingdoms that are coming. But he says something interesting in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, he's talking about the vision that he saw. And he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And you might say to me, you just read very similar sounding verses about the kingdom that's being set up and the everlasting nature of it, and I would tell you that's exactly right. When Nebuchadnezzar saw the rock come out of the mountain and it, it, it obliterated all the other kingdoms, and Daniel said there's a kingdom coming that God is establishing that is for all time. It's not going away. And then we use that to talk about Jesus coming and the introduction of the kingdom of God uh, in, on earth here and the ability for us to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness. And, that, and all those things were true. And you might say, I've already heard this. It's the same thing. But I want you to see something. I put this verse up here. It's in verse 14. Jesus' dominion is an everlasting dominion. Which king's going to win? Jesus' dominion is an everlasting dominion. It shall not pass away. His kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. But what I did not put up here is in verse 13 when he begins this, and he's saying in my night vision, I saw this, look at what he says. Do you remember how the other one started off, by the way? When he interpreted he said, in the... In those days of that, of the, in the days of those kings, God is going to do this. Here he says, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. 
And I don't know what happens in your mind when I read that to you, but I know what happened in my mind when I read that. I immediately saw a scene of some men standing around talking to their resurrected Messiah. This is in the book of Acts, first chapter, talking with their resurrected Messiah, and they're having conversation with him, and as they're talking to him, he goes away, and a cloud takes him away into heaven. You know the scene, right? Jesus being taken off into heaven, and as they're looking into heaven, they have two men standing in white, standing next to them, and they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking that way? And what are the next words out of their mouth? What are the next words out of their mouth, church? Just as you saw him go, you will see him come again. What is Daniel talking about when he says, behold, not in the days of those kings, but behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man. I think what he's talking about was what John saw in Revelation chapter 19. He says words like this, then I saw heaven opened and behold, what? A white horse, the one sitting on it, look at the name. Remember what the stump of Jesse, that root that's coming, remember the name? Remember the, 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 the belts around him? The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. This is Jesus. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. I think Daniel saw two visions accomplishing some of the same things, but when it comes to the final establishing of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, I think he's talking about two separate events. One was in the days of those kings. That already happened when the Roman kings were reigning and Jesus was born as a baby and he brought in the kingdom of God. He did. He brought in the kingdom of God and enabled us to be moved from the kingdom of darkness and of sin and of self and of Satan to be moved in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, thereby having peace with God. But I believe when the second time he saw that kingdom being established that is, that is no longer gonna be destroyed, he's now talking about a different establishing of kingdom in a whole different realm. And it is that advent of Jesus that we still wait for. It is that coming of that king who will reign in that way that we're still longing for. It is those things that Paul is pointing to when he writes marvelous words, words that I had the privilege, and I'm telling you, friends, it was an absolute privilege, a privilege to read to uh, Joe and Rachel last night and to Stanley and Karen and to their friends, I don't remember their names, but who were there as well in, in a hospital room as they held their 23-week-old son who is now with Jesus. These words that Paul was reflecting to as he looked at the coming of a kingdom, not the first time, not quietly, not a baby in a manger, not being told to shepherds who have to walk in, not to a certain subgroup. By the way, shepherds and kings, I think, represents that he's a savior of all, of all mankind. But, but when he comes and the scripture is clear that every eye will see him. Everyone will know that the kingdom is now being ushered in. And Paul writes these words as he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, but in fact, this is 1 Corinthians 15, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, that happened. Then at his coming, this is what Daniel saw. This is what we're longing for. This is what we're waiting for. This is what gives us hope, what makes us want to walk faithfully, what allows us to operate with joy even in the midst of difficulty. And it is the peace that passes understanding as things fall apart. We know a king is coming. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. 
Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And look what it says. What makes you more afraid than perhaps anything else in all of life? What makes humans more afraid than perhaps anything else in all of life is the fact that life ends because of sin, because there's death. And verse 26 says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his, under Jesus' feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it's plain that he, God, is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him. Why? So that God may be all in all. Now, Paul keeps on talking, and I, I, I don't want to take time to read all of it, but I want to jump over, because I want to read the last parts of 1 Corinthians 15. These are words for your encouragement, brothers and sisters. These are words to remind you why I could tell you last week that you should rejoice, and again, I will say it, rejoice. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. Maybe I should read that differently and put the emphasis differently because we're talking about kingdoms. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When that happens, when the perishable puts on imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Do you know this saying, friends? This is the saying that you and I anchor our peace in. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you just read that with me? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I told you the most important kind of peace is you being made right with God, and I stand by that unashamedly. But I tell you, there's more peace on offer. When Jesus said, my peace I leave with you, there's more peace on offer. There's more peace that allows us to know that our God reigns. He is sovereign and supreme. That our king is coming. We don't know when. We believe it's soon. We ought to believe it's soon. We ought to always believe it's soon. But I believe it is soon. Our king is returning, and when he does, he will make all things right. He will reign with righteousness. He will rule with equity. No longer shall there be any hurt. No longer shall there be destroyed. Those are words we read back in Isaiah chapter 11. No longer shall there be any destruction. His dominion and his rule is forever. That is what allows you and I to have peace inside of us, even though there's all kinds of broken things around us. All kinds of things that we don't wish were going that way. Once again, I want to end by going back to, to going to Jesus' words. This time, just a couple chapters from where I was before, John chapter 16, Jesus says this. 
I have said these things, and you should maybe go back and read the things he said, because between chapter 14 and chapter 16, there's some incredible things that Jesus said, says to us about peace, about what it looks like to operate and live in peace. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you know what he says, right? In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Peace comes from knowing your king and belonging to your king and trusting your king and knowing that your king is in charge and knowing that one day what you see with your eyes is going to match everything you've believed with your faith. May your kingdom come and your will be done, right? On earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray together again. God, thank you so much for your word this morning. As always, there's so many things that could have been added in. There's so many things that, that directions it could go, so many things I'm sure I missed, God. And I'm so grateful, I'm so confident in your word and in the Holy Spirit bringing that word to us. And I'm so confident, God, that you spoke to us what needed to be heard, whether it's through my mouth or just directly into our brains this morning. You are so faithful to us. But we want to turn our attention. If we're going to talk about Advent and the expectation of the coming of Jesus, we want to turn our attention to you, Jesus. We want you to be honored and revered and lifted up. We have such a tendency to get so lost in all the, all the things that we're doing, all good things if we're letting them point us to you. But if they're not, if, if they're just things we're doing, then they're empty and pointless. We want our focus and attention to be on you, Jesus, for you ushered in a kingdom that allowed us to be made right with God now. And we believe you are ushering, you are ushering in a kingdom. You're going to bring in a kingdom, the reality of that kingdom, in a way that we read about now and we by faith believe it, but oh Jesus, we're longing for it. We want fairness and equity. We want you to rule with justice. There is nobody on earth that can rule like you, King Jesus. No, none of us have succeeded in making the leopard lie down with the goat. None of us have succeeded in undoing the curse to the point where children can play with wild animals and there's no fear. None of us have succeeded in making so that all the governance and all the structures are there with equity, that there's no unfairness, that there's no... There's no bribery, that there's no cheating, that there's no tilting of the scales, so to speak. We haven't, we're not able to, God, for we are the problem. You, King Jesus, we want you to reign over us now, and we want you to reign in reality over the earth, over the, make, to make your kingdom come. The words of John at the end of the revelation, he says, even so, Lord Jesus, come. And we want to echo that. For we, we want your peace to reign. Thank you that you've given us a down payment, a deposit of that peace through the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would lead us in that peace this season of celebration. We are looking forward, Jesus, to celebrating next week. We are looking forward to just rejoicing in the fact that you came, you changed the outcome of our story. 
Thank you. We praise you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.